I'm Amanda Leitner and welcome to Rochester Rising, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome to podcast episode 236. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us today as we talk about small business and the culture of entrepreneurship here in Rochester, Minnesota. We hope that by listening in today, you learn something from entrepreneurs themselves that can help with your own entrepreneurial journey. We release a podcast here on Rochester Rising every Wednesday. You can check out the podcast on our website at rochesterrising.org. And you can also listen in wherever you like to listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. We have a lot of articles and videos as well that we have created over the five years of Rochester Rising, telling the stories of both new and very experienced business owners. You can find all of this content on our website. Rochester Rising is a part of Collider, which is a Rochester-based nonprofit that activates, connects, and empowers early-stage entrepreneurs in the community. You can learn more about Collider and how this organization can help accelerate and assist your entrepreneurial journey in Rochester, Minnesota at Collider.mn. Rochester Rising was launched in 2016, July of 2016, to tell stories of entrepreneurship taking place here in the city of Rochester, Minnesota, especially stories that otherwise would not have been told. We really take a lot of time to understand each entrepreneur and what their experience has been like in this community. If you find value in this podcast, if you find that you learn something from it each time you tune in, please consider donating to continue these storytelling efforts. If you can, please consider donating to our tip jar so that we can keep telling these stories for the community. We use the local business for giving for our fundraising efforts. You can find out more about our digital tip jar and how to donate through Forgiving through the button in our show notes, so check it out. This summer, we're taking a very short break from airing new podcasts to revisit some of your most downloaded episodes over the past five years at Rochester Rising. Today, we're sharing the very first episode of our Ecosystem North podcast, which was aimed at telling the stories of entrepreneurial ecosystem builders. This podcast was hosted by Collider Executive Director Jamie Sonsbach. I was honored to join in the conversation myself last July 2020 as the very first guest. So that's the conversation we're going to listen into today. So stay tuned to learn more about the creation of Rochester Rising and the very early stages of the Collider Foundation. Before we launch into today's podcast, we just wanted to acknowledge our sponsor, Clifton Larson Allen. The team at Clifton Larson Allen, or CLA, would love to get to know you, learn about your vision, and see if they can help. CLA is a full-service CPA firm with over 100 offices nationally, including right here in Rochester. They do taxes and audits, but they also focus on helping startups refine their vision, build budgets, work with banks and investors, and track and organize their accounting. They're deeply experienced at building the business systems that allow you to focus on what you do best get product market fit, grow sales, hire talent, and create a thriving enterprise. Contact Todd Churchill at todd.churchill at claconnect.com or give him a call at 507-280-2317 to learn more. 
All right, so now we'll launch right into the premiere episode of Ecosystem North, which originally aired in July 2020. So welcome everybody to Ecosystem North. Uh, my name is Jamie Sunsbach. Each week, Ecosystem North shines a spotlight on the people and organizations that support our region's entrepreneurs, uncovering the real story of what inspires and drives them to be entrepreneurial champions. So welcome to the first episode of this podcast. I'm excited to be kicking off this podcast today um, and hopefully over the next weeks, months, and years, really truly celebrating the ecosystem builders, those people in the trenches supporting entrepreneurs day in and day out, helping to tell their stories as well as celebrate what they do here in the region. When it came to sort of putting together a list of the, of the people I wanted to talk to, I, I definitely uh, wanted to speak to this person for a couple of reasons. One, because it's pretty easy to get her because I work with her. And the second part is she's done a lot of work kind of at the other end of this, of being the person that's done a ton of interviews with entrepreneurs and ecosystem organizations and just amazing people in our community. So uh, we definitely wanted to have as our first podcast guest, Amanda Leitner, Director of Communications and again, my teammate at Collider. So welcome, Amanda. Thanks. It does feel weird to be on the other end of the uh, interview, <laughs> I have to say. I'm really excited just to, just to, I think, you know, I probably know a little bit uh, about you and your background, but uh, really, I think a lot of people in this community don't. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and really what brought you here to the Rochester area? Yeah. So I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh for my, pretty much my, my whole life. Um, lived there until I was 20 about. Grew up in a very close family. We were Italian American, so we had Sunday dinners every Sunday together, and they, they still do. I grew up, I would say my family was fairly entrepreneurial. My my dad, um, my whole family worked in the, the steel industry growing up in Pittsburgh, um, and he had his own welding and manufacturing business, which he, he still, I think they actually, they just shut it down this past year, but uh, he had been had that for, for years, so got a little taste of what that was like growing up, but um, I went to college in in Pittsburgh. I was the first person from my family to, to go to college. So that was uh, exciting. And I'm glad I, I had that opportunity. But I, I went to school in uh, Oakland, uh, Pennsylvania. I, I think my family saw that as a way to, to build a better future for me. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of the times when people are thinking of what's a better future, it, it's being, being a doctor. So that's originally what I was going to do. Um, I had thought about well, the very first thing I ever wanted to do was I wanted to train Shamu. So that was the first, <laughs> that was the first thing I ever, so I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but. <laughs> did you go to SeaWorld or did you just, uh, were you fascinated by Shamu? No, I did go to SeaWorld. Then I wanted to be a marine biologist um, and then realized that's a very challenging field to work in and didn't really I mean I lived by rivers and grew up in the river system but typically those are like on the coast or something like that so uh yeah so that kind of faded then I was going to be a veterinarian and then thought about oh do I want to be an MD so I went to um school at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh somehow I still don't even know how this happened got more on the the science track molecular biology and doing biomedical research I think that's because of the the school and Pittsburgh has a lot of um 
biomedical engineering, biomedical uh, research. So that's kind of the track I got um, pushed into. Um, Actually, in my opinion, there weren't a lot of support for people who were more interested in the physician route there, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if that was just my perspective or uh, my experience or, or not, but that's what I experienced. One of the summers I was at uh, Carnegie Mellon, I actually got a internship at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. So that's where I went, did some research uh, for the summer on um, metastatic breast cancer. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the people I was working with, um, the experience. So I thought that's what I was going to do. So I applied to Mayo Clinic for graduate school. Most of the people, almost, I'd say 90% of the people I graduated with went on to some form of education beyond getting a Bachelor of Science because that was just the path we took in that particular institution. So I went to graduate school, got into Mayo Clinic, actually started in Jacksonville in that same lab, and then came up to Rochester to do a rotation here. You do like three rotations in graduate school and I just ended up staying in Rochester. I don't think I really knew where Rochester, Minnesota was before I came here. I flew in for the graduate school interviews, which were in January, which is an atrocious time to bring anybody here. <laughs> I mean, I thought I knew what winters were because we, I mean, obviously had seasons in Pittsburgh, but I would say on average, it's at least 10 to 20 degrees warmer than it is here. I mean, it is actually pretty Southern compared to here. So it was just like a shock. Uh, I was all, I think it was minus 20. It's kind of shocking me that I ended up coming here, (laughs) (laughs) but I just ended up staying primarily because initially they had graduate school students. When I was in Jacksonville, it was pretty much just me. Like the school wasn't a big part of the community there. So I really didn't have like support. Ended up doing biomedical research at Mayo where I met you (laughs) for we were in the same research lab for six and a half years pretty much during that time I knew that I wasn't I think the theme here is that I really knew I didn't want to do science this whole time but somehow just kept getting funneled down that pathway and thought at one point it was going to click and it never did you know I started graduate school it was 2007 so 2007 8 9 were horrendous you know economic years so that was the best place I could be uh I did enjoy the people I was working with, um, but knew it was something, you know, when that time was done in graduate school, that that wasn't something I was going to do. I knew that I was, had really strong communication skills uh, that was commented on <laughs> as opposed to my science skills. <laughs> so That was not commented on is what you're saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just knew that was more of my strength. I actually never felt that I was good enough to be a biomedical researcher. I always felt way out of depth that I was surrounded by people way smarter than me. I think that was partly saying that it just wasn't a fit. Even if that wasn't true, I just, I don't know, wasn't a fit. After I was done with my graduate work in Mayo, I went to the Twin Cities, to the University of Minnesota for about three years. Um, I thought I was going to get into maybe some kind of science writing. There was just more uh, science industry there uh, than here. There really was no opportunity at all outside of Mayo Clinic for for a, a researcher. While I was there, I, I've i always enjoyed like community, that feeling of untapped potential, that feeling of untold stories in community. Uh, so while I was at the University of Minnesota doing my postdoc, I ch- intentionally chose a very flexible lab. They gave me time to explore other things. They understood that everyone doesn't go into the path of running their own research lab because it's not even possible with the funding mechanisms today. It's probably gotten worse now. I mean, this was like four years ago. 
maybe six years ago at this point. So during that time, I got an unpaid internship with what's now Medical Alley Association, which basically just supports uh, medical companies in Minnesota. It was about a 15-minute drive from where I was working. So I'd drive there once a week for, I think it lasted about nine months, again, unpaid. Um, And I was doing market research on, and somehow they gave me animal health, the animal health space, which was kind of unintentional, but it was a nice fit for me since I wanted to be a marine biologist, wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, So that was kind of the start in learning about uh, life science uh, startups in Minnesota and just really got pulled into that. Just, you know, this community of um, exciting innovations, you know, it was applying kind of my science training in a different way. Um, But I just really got excited about, you know, the potential there and the feeling that not a lot of people knew about what was going on in these sectors and with the people running um, these startups and small businesses in, in Minnesota. It's funny when you say that you don't know how you sort of fell into, say, like biomedical sciences. I think the same thing was true of me. I was going to be a lawyer and that's the direction I was going to go. And then I suddenly had this like summer research experience and I was like, oh, I guess I'll do this. And it really did sort of chart a course for the next 20 years of my life, uh, which is just insane to think about. We can realize that science isn't for everybody. But at the same time, I think I learned so much being in the sciences, just being able to apply a level of discipline and rigor that I don't think I've seen in many other um, sort of non-scientists. So, um, you know, it's definitely been, I think, a positive for me, for sure. Do you think a lot of your scientific training has helped you in, in sort of the other careers you've jumped into since then? I think absolutely. In a sense, I think a lot of it is <laughs> the downside to it is I feel a lot of it was uh, kind of undisciplined that like you just had a lot of time to figure things out. Whereas in a business you don't, because I mean, there is a, a, a money timeline in, in research, maybe more because my experience was as a graduate student, you get a lot more flexibility in like what you're accomplishing in a time frame. But I think as, ter- in fa- as far as, I guess, being intentional about testing things and understanding how to set that up to test if something is working and then to know, have some way to understand if it's working or not. So setting up like many experiments and a lot of things um, has been very helpful. I think communication, um, I think it allowed me the ability to communicate at a very technical level and then kind of I don't want to say down to but two different audiences so at a very technical level and then you know to a more general audience who might not be as familiar with terms so I think it it just allowed me to understand there are different audiences and you have to be very intentional about who you're talking with but I definitely don't (laughs) regret it uh, at all because I think any education you have is extremely valuable but I think it does um, and in presentation as well and in public speaking when I first started out, I remember when I was in college, like we had to do one public speaking thing ever. And it was like, it was a huge deal. Like I was so terrified. I almost didn't even make it through it. And now it's like, I don't, I actually almost feel more comfortable, like not preparing to give talks (laughs) or doing, you know, even when I was in school, I graduate school, I started out really preparing for every presentation that I would have. And now it's just more of a level of comfort that And I see people who don't have a lot of that experience really being held back by not being able to talk in public. So I think that's been one of the biggest things because you talk in public all the time. Like it's just, it ends up being, you don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I would say for me, maybe there's a little fear still there, of course, but you know, you get over these things and you just, you learn by doing and that's what's super important. 
Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of Rochester Rising, which is the thing I think even today probably you're you're most known for in our community? <laughs> uh, so I guess it actually did directly stem out of the medical alley experience because after that, I just remember thinking, well, what am I going to do now with my my spare time, my spare time, <laughs> where I was trying to figure out what that next step was. So I had, I remember emailing you or calling you at one point and just saying, I wanted to understand more of what was going on in Rochester. My husband had kept his job down in Rochester. We were living in kind of the St. Paul suburbs at the time. So just thinking about, well, is there something down here that would make life easier? We could transition back. And we just started talking about what was going on in the community. And I think like a week later, <laughs> you, I, I knew you were doing bio again at that time. And I think it was, it was pretty short. It was a week later, if not a few days later, you were like, hey, I have some idea for you. Do you want to do this thing for free for me and we can build community? So it was a thing. I, you know, I had a job, but I also had flexibility. And part of like a postdoc is, and, and it definitely, it's giving you that platform to have that time to explore, which I was very grateful for. You're supposed to use that time to explore what your next step is going to be. And the problem with, you know, jumping into a career in industry was that I didn't have any experience. So when you don't have experience and you can't get hired in even an entry-level job, you have to do stuff for free to get that experience. So that was basically what I was doing. Um, you pitched the idea of uh, this life science nexus concept that was um, going to be basically an online blog talking about life science entrepreneurship. And we expanded it to Minnesota since I was in the Twin Cities. So that's how I got started. It was yourself, me, and uh, Karishma. Um, I can't think of her last name at this point. I think it was Ranjani. Ranjani, yeah. So we started that and it was I just remember like I would have like a 45 minute bus ride in and then an hour bus ride back. So we do like business development in the morning. <laughs> so we just like type away on Slack and like, cause you'd have like Wi-Fi on the bus. So I'd like be working on the bus for like 45 minutes in the morning. And then I think coming home, I'd, you know, read my science reading that I had to do. So it was kind of like a nice space. And because that, I had that flexibility, I take like my lunch hour and do a little bit of writing. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I got to explore. I meet a lot of cool people in the Twin Cities, and that's kind of where I started out learning about uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, but really focused in on life sciences. So when like how I transitioned to Rochester Rising, we were working on this for, I think it might have been about a year. Sometimes my timeline gets accelerated or shrunk. It just kind of was a blur. Um, <laughs> and my postdoc was about to be up. We had gotten a bit of traction on Life Science Nexus. You know, we had that discussion and I decided that I was just going to... You were starting Collider at that time. So this was probably 2016, summertime. Um, about this time, actually, four years ago, almost exactly. And I just decided, you know, I felt I had enough stability, at least for a year or so, that I was going to leave that job and, and move to Rochester and see what we could make of it. Like I said, at that time you were starting Collider. When I came down to Rochester, I didn't feel that there was enough life science uh, entrepreneurship to support what we were doing um, and that there was just more need that wasn't being met. So um, in July, 2016, pivoted this to Rochester Rising to tell stories of all entrepreneurs in, in Rochester, not just life sciences. And at that point, you kind of ran with Collider and I kind of ran with this um, just to really maximize skill set. So that was a really interesting time. And sometimes when I think back on it, it, it was totally crazy. I mean, we definitely didn't even have enough evidence that this was going to work. 
I remember even that conversation. I think it was in the Mayo Business Accelerator and we were chatting and, and you said, well, you know, I'd kind of learned about this person or this person doing something cool. You know, would it be okay if we, if we expanded it a bit? And I was, I was like, sure, why not? And I remember that conversation. And then I also remember writing on the wall of the accelerator, trying to come up with a name for this thing. But those are the two things that, you know, and then suddenly I was like, yeah, why would we limit ourselves to the life sciences? I think probably because we both come from that life science background. That was always my sort of focus. But to your point, I mean, we we had zero evidence that there was even an interest in this. And I think that you know, again, we're all about testing, right? And we we teach classes together, which is all about testing and, and, and trying to prove things. But I think sometimes you just have to try it and see what happens. And I think that it definitely had more traction, I think, from the beginning than Life Science Nexus did, just because it was a lot more broad. Um, but definitely, the other thing I noticed is, I don't know if it's still in the feed for Rochester Rising, but if you... Um, Go back before that, there was something called, I believe it was called the Life Science Nexus Podcast. I did a at least 10 of those, uh, which was sort of a, a sort of, it was made to be a supplement to Life Science Nexus, sort of the blog. And then I remember at some point asking you or, or you wanted to interview someone and I'm like, here, take my podcast equipment. And I don't think I ever got it back. <laughs> I was like, here you go. And and it was, it was, again, I'm, I'm, my memory's a little sketchy too, but I just remember like hearing your first couple podcasts and I was like, oh my God, she is so much better than me at this. Like, why is she not just doing this? And, you know, be me being like a lifelong and lifelong being, I've, I've listened to podcasts since 2003 when you had to download them and sort of format them correctly and put them onto your computer. You know, I, I just, I knew right away that you were so good at this and it was just like, man, how can we continue to support what you're doing? And that's when I knew when traction started happening and when the podcast was starting to take off that it was time to let you just run with Rochester Rising because I, I knew you'd you could make it work. And I think ultimately, I mean, it's been very successful ever since, which is the, another case for never involving me in any project. As soon as I'm removed, then things become successful. You know, it's funny, like we had just come up on the four year anniversary and, you know, you get these like spam messages occasionally through Squarespace. And the first or second, it might've been like the second story I ever wrote was about um, the food trucks. And I talked to Derek Chapman and it was like, it was just a joke. Cause we put like, that, that conversation was not a joke, but like the, the uh, titles were kind of a joke. Cause they were just like placeholders. And I titled one food trucks burned down peace Plaza. And I didn't realize like it gets tagged in like, if you copy and paste the URL, like, once you originally name that, it's there forever. And someone spammed me like t- last week and was like, oh, we saw this great article and it copy and pasted it. And it's like P- food trucks burned out Peace Plaza. And I'm like, oh my God, it just lives there forever. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It must be just like when you, when you title an article in Squarespace, you can never get it out of the URL. That's just what it is. No, I think the URL is actually just the words with dashes in between. I think that's how they set it up. So that's interesting. It stayed forever. <laughs> yeah, that, well, it's a good lesson of probably what not to do, but definitely uh, early days and we were learning. It so. did get changed. <laughs> just something about like Twisted Barrel. <laughs> but that well, was like, a, we that, were just that's, 
<laughs> that's one of those things. I think sometimes we have a lot of like, I, I know I like to always have an, a, like a code name for something when I'm working on it. And some of them are just really nuts. So definitely, I think that just shows that at least we are always, uh, maybe we kind of appear like we're serious. I don't know if we do. It depends on the public's perception, but I think we have a lot of fun in what we do too. So um, I don't even remember how that happened. Yeah, why I did that. But I think we were just like mocking up the website or something. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that could be. And it could be that that, you know, if you think back to that time, I mean, it, there was some tension there between, yeah. you know, food trucks and local downtown restaurants and a lot of involved in the permitting process and stuff like that. So it was, it was a very tense time where, you know, so maybe we were just kind of filling out the website and being like, oh, well, what will happen when the food trucks start to burn down downtown? Yeah, I think that's exactly what had happened, what the sentiment was at the time. So that's how it got in there as a placeholder. <laughs> oh, good lesson. Never use real words as placeholders. Uh, yeah. Lessons learned. You know, you've done almost 200 podcasts, which is just nuts. I thought at 50, you'd be like, I'm done with this. And you kept going. And I think, first of all, phenomenal. Like I would have never, not, it sounds bad. It sounds like I have zero confidence in you. <laughs> you would have never done this. But I, I just, it's amazing when you hit milestones like that. That's really cool. And very few podcasts make it past episode 50. So just like they say, you know, 80% of all new companies will fail, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's true in the podcasting world too. So, and it's, it's funny how, how many times in this community I'll be like, Oh, Amanda, Oh, the person that does Rochester rising. And I'm like, yes. And now I'm jealous, but uh, no, it's, it's definitely a, a testament. It's something that I think people, people really do love to listen to and to read. So thank you for all the work you do with that. That's, that's just amazing. So there, um, you transitioned into uh, a role in the Office of Entrepreneurship at Mayo Clinic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, again, I had been doing Rochester Rising for, I think, about a year and a half at that time. And uh, like we we had talked about in the beginning, we kind of jumped into it without like thinking very much about it. Um, So it definitely was not um, financially supportive. And I'd run out of that runway. Uh, in about in about a year, I had taken some other jobs. At one point, I was doing six jobs, which was insane. Um, wow. and I totally had lost my sanity. So this was, I thought and it, and it was a good experience um, building that next level of credibility um, in the community. Because like you were saying, people saw me as, you know, this, this journalist. And I've never for one second thought of myself as a journalist. And I still don't. I don't feel that that's what we're doing. Um, so I really wanted to build up that credibility because I felt that I had more to offer than this, than just telling stories. Uh, so I went, uh, joined the Office of Entrepreneurship as the first hire in February of 2018. Like, I think that's right. I think <laughs> that that's seems good, yeah. right. Yeah, that seems right. Um, <laughs> and was there for a little bit over a year. It was really attractive to me because it's, I, I knew the person running it. They were on my thesis committee when I was at graduate school. It was very new. So I had that opportunity to help shape where it was going to go. I was the first full-time person and it was really just helping people by developing education and community. So that's why I was attractive to them because they wanted to build community and also link what was going on inside Mayo with outside Mayo. So um, it was a really great experience. I got to um, do a lot of women-specific programming inside Mayo, which to my understanding, it's still going. <laughs> so that's always positive because um, you you know, you know hope you want to leave something behind but have it change. So so yeah, I was there for about a year and a little, a little bit more. Um, and then we... Um, <laughs> 
again, you know, I think when we had started thinking about what we were doing in whatever, 2014, I think realistically, we always had an idea for a nonprofit that what we were thinking of was should have been a nonprofit, but you know, that takes a little bit more time. You have to get grant funding, um, sponsorships and things. But what we were doing was always really more education and support instead of like uh, more focused on, you know, a pay to play model because uh, we were helping people. So I remember sitting down in January of 2019, one of us had found this grant through the Co- Ewing Marion Coffin Foundation, which we had been, I think we actually had gone to their eShip, their entrepreneurial summit the year before. I think yep. that was the timeline. Uh, so we knew about the 1 million cups through the Coffin Foundation. And we saw this grant opportunity uh, to support basically what we were doing. So we applied to it thinking nothing would, would happen in January of 2019. And I think there were what, like almost a thousand applicants from across the U.S., something like that. Yeah, we had, it's funny, I, I always think like we had no right to write that grant. I mean, yes, we did, but it's just like, you know, there were so many other organizations that, you know, were established at that point, And we were just in the process of sort of pivoting to a nonprofit model. But yeah, I think it was that early part of that year that we just sort of, again, we maybe this is the story of how things work, right? We just started writing just to see, because, you know, we both have backgrounds in grant writing, uh, more probably at the the NIH level, uh, National Institutes of Health. Um, so I think we we both felt qualified that we could write this thing. It's just, um, it was a different type of grant, but never hurts to try, right? And that's, uh, that's where I think, uh, at least the position I was taking as we were writing it is, let's try to capture some of the hopes and and dreams of what we would want to do if we just were magically selected, which of course we never would be. And let's just go for it. Yeah. So I think we were kind of surprised when we, it might've been in like, February that year, we learned we got into the second round. And then I think in May, we learned we were in the final round of it. (laughs) And yeah, I think it just kind of went from there. And we officially got to start in October. I think about July, I started transitioning out of the Office of Entrepreneurship job because we just, we had a lot of planning to do. (laughs) And we had a lot to like get moving and transitioning everything. And, you know, we didn't know what we were doing with Rochester Rising at that time. And when we started writing it, you know, obviously we didn't think we were going to get the grant and, you know, we didn't think Rochester Rising was going to be part of the nonprofit in the beginning. And then we decided to do that because it made the most sense. Um, and again, I had been doing so many different things for so many different, for so many years that I just couldn't manage <laughs> having like separate things anymore. It just needed to be funneled into one thing because it, it was getting completely unmanageable and very, very stressful and really wearing down on me. So I just knew I couldn't do that anymore. So yeah, I think that brings us to where we are today. How, I knew you were going to ask me a question. I could feel the interviewer kick in. <laughs> so what's your role right now at Collider? Um, so right now, officially, I'm the director of communications, but I think we all do a little bit of everything. So it's continuing to run the Rochester Rising um, website. I think both of us kind of manage the Collider social media. It's kind of, it's not really just mine. It's it's both of us. And then I also basically am the program manager for our ecosystem navigator program. So that was what we grant we got from the Kauffman Foundation to kind of launch this. And the ecosystem navigator program is specifically to empower um, three individuals in the community to serve as community connectors. Um, helping people understand what resources exist in the community, um, helping them to form a network and connect them into what they need next to move their business forward. And this is 
for this pilot program, it's especially geared towards people who have systemically been left behind, um, including minority entrepreneurs and women. So that's basically what I've been doing. My main focus is, is that grant, you know, to set that up and to understand about the ecosystem. We did, or I did, Collider did, um, <laughs> 100 listening sessions in the community really with specifically, again, focused on minority entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs, and those supporting um, those entrepreneurs in the community, really to understand where the gaps and assets were in the community. So we just, I mean, that was a process. We just kind of wrapped that up in March. Once COVID hit, I I did the final couple um, via Zoom. So that's, yeah, that was a large chunk of my time. And now we're just getting ready to share that with the public. Um, it was a lot of information to sift through to make sure people put a lot of trust in us to tell that story. So being very intentional about how those stories are being told, being very respectful of the individuals involved. Nobody knows who, except for myself, really, who was inter- who was listen- who was interviewed for those sessions. So we're being very mindful and protective of those identities, um, just because it's very important information for our community to have. So um, in a nutshell, that's my role at Collider. Yeah, I was really impressed just how thoughtful people were, how willing they were to, you know, really speak up about a lot of different things. So yeah, that was an amazing time. I think if we look, well, we look back in a few years, we'll be like, wow, that really is what spurred sort of the future growth uh, in our community. At least I feel, I'm a little biased, I know, but we hope, um, (laughs) we hope. hope. So what has been over the last six months, there's been a lot of challenges in the world. Um, there's been some crazy times happening, but if you could think back in the last six months, you know, what's been a real bright spot about the work you've done to support entrepreneurs? Oh man. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was very hard in the beginning when we started, even when I started in four years ago, nobody knows who you are. Nobody trusts you. And why should they? Like, you don't, you haven't done anything. They don't know who you are. Um, so that was very hard starting out. You know, I think I had to rely on you for, for the majority of the contacts that I had. And now I just email people. And most of the time now, they've kind of heard of Rochester Rising. So it's not even like an issue getting them on for an article or a podcast. But, you know, the past six months, uh, you know, it was challenging starting out these interviews because we know our circle we wanted to get beyond that circle um, and building that trust in different communities within Rochester. Um, and it's still going to take time, but I think that's been the biggest spot, just seeing relationships developing with people that I didn't know before and then being really interested in what we're doing, being able to help with that and being able to help them as well. I think that's the most exciting thing that we've been working on and seeing those relationships kind of blossom. I'm trying to learn Spanish to help with some of those relationships, which I would never have thought I'd be doing, you know, a year ago. That um, is just, going the extra mile. <laughs> well, just to, you know, at least be able to, to be able to read something, if not just like help with a little bit of, you know, uh, direction when talking with somebody, if they're not totally comfortable um, just having some sort of communication and just, you know, we should, you know, as Americans, we only speak English. That's kind of ridiculous. So, you know, we should be able to speak another language. So I've been working on that. And I think it's just seeing some of those relationships really start to get some traction now. So speaking of that traction, if you could imagine a vision in the future for entrepreneurship in Rochester, what would that vision look like? I guess my hope is that it just would be a space where entrepreneurship was more visible. Um, and it was more of a, it was more ingrained into the culture as not like the alternative uh, route, which I feel that it is a little bit now. 
Um, and I really would hope that, you know, my vision for what it would be in, let's say, five years from now is that just if someone's interested in entrepreneurship, first of all, there's a culture where people are talking about it more, where it's not just like, it doesn't seem so risky because more people are doing it. You know, you don't try to get talked out of it. You know, there's just more starting. And I think to do that, first of all, you need that that culture of acceptance of it and support um, just on like an individual level. We're not even talking about financial at that point. And then I think just more of a community where um, people would be more easily connected in and be able to access those resources that they need better and, you know, know when and how to access them and what's relevant for what they're doing. That's kind of, but I think it all starts at culture and, and having, having entrepreneurship be more of an ingrained part of the daily activities in this yeah, community. Absolutely. I think you are a hundred percent on track, you know, amazing. We work together that we would sort of group things. <laughs> that culture is so critical. And I still feel like, I mean, the reason I got involved in the ecosystem was all around trying to trying to, I wouldn't say change the culture, but modify the culture into one of acceptance, a little more broad acceptance of entrepreneurs and a little more support. And I still, you know, I get up in middle of the night and 2 a.m. thinking, you know, I still don't feel that culture is there. So it's definitely something we need to work towards as a community. I think we're getting there, but it's, it's it takes a long time. You know, the, uh, the immortal words of Brad Feld is this sort of work in ecosystem building takes about 20 years. And, and that 20 years starts from the day you get involved. And that's your personal 20-year journey. I feel really old that I'm approaching now my eighth year of doing stuff like this. I can't imagine what year 20 looks like. Probably a, a, a great retirement party for me, if nothing else. But uh, totally agree that your vision is, is spot on. And, and hopefully that's what we're working for at Collider. So last couple questions to wrap things up. What is one thing that people may not know about you um, that you may find interesting, uh, a different hobby, um, that you have 12 kids, you know, something, something I should that have maybe saved we don't the know. thing for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come um, on, you come up with something else. <laughs> yeah, probably. I do. Huh, I should have saved that one. So I, I think, think the third podcast for Rochester Rising should be called Saving Shamu. Saving Shamu. Uh, I think like I've, uh, maybe something people just don't know about me now that I've been able to focus in on maybe one or two jobs instead of six, I've really been focusing in on my own like hobbies and, and interests and like slowing down a little bit. And one thing I've always loved doing is baking. Like I said, I grew up in an Italian American family and every Sunday um, <laughs> we went to mass and I had to go to Sunday school. And then I would walk down the street to my grandfather's house and we would bake um, so that really kind of takes me back to that time. So that's something that I've really um, started doing again. So I really love to bake. And it also goes back to science, too. I was thinking about that yesterday as I was baking. Um, that, you know, it's not like cooking. It has to be very exact and precise or it's not going to work. Especially the more challenging things, you know, when you go beyond like the cookies and into like pastries and things. It's pretty exact um, or it's just not, not going to work out how you think it's going to. So I feel like people do know that I do that, but probably not 
everybody. <laughs> well, I definitely say outside of the co-working space, you know, they, occasionally we benefit from from your experiments in the kitchen, um, which are excellent. You know, that I think that's great. It's always so important to have something to fall back on, hobbies, interests. And I'm always fascinated by by what people do in their in their spare time if such a thing exists because it is it, it's truly truly interesting just the wide variety of things that people choose to 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 get excited and to fuel them and and hopefully create better work um as an as an output so so last question uh who is someone in the community right now that's doing great work to support entrepreneurs <laughs> i think that's a great question um i'm going to say two and i'm just going to do it really quickly <laughs> i think the first would be aser um, the Hispanic Advocacy and Community Empowerment through Research. Um, they are based in uh, St. Paul, but they are doing a, a lot of work in Rochester pilots, um, that they, a pilot program called Crando Ando that they started in June, I believe. Um, and they really had to pivot this like significantly with COVID. I think it was supposed to start in, in April originally, um, but they were just really trying to, a lot of what we learned too is, you know, starting way up at top the entrepreneurial funnel, just getting people comfortable with entrepreneurship and building up their leadership skills and confidence levels and doing that. So that's one organization that I don't know that a lot of people know much about. And the second I'm going to say real fast is uh, Mary Grove at Bread and Butter uh, Ventures. I just did a podcast with her um, and Pam York, another female venture capitalist. And, you know, a lot of, you know, what we're talking about, a lot of barriers that hold people back is not, having access to these people and they've actually opened up um, open office hours where people can connect in with them. And when you've talked with, you know, when you read books or learn more about venture capital, a lot of it is like personal network and referral in. And this is really trying to dismantle that model of they're accessible, just click a button and meet with them. So I think I'm hoping that that really kind of has a lot of impact in changing the venture capital space here in Minnesota. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for taking the time to join us and sharing your story with us. Where can people find you? Probably the best place is on Rochester Rising. So it's rochesterrising.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and Twitter. And you can find me in the Collider co-working space, just wear a mask. (laughs) But that's where we are. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much and uh, have a great day. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening in today. It was really interesting for me to be on the other side of this conversation uh, that again was recorded and aired last July. Uh, So it was fun to be able to share that again. Uh, You can learn more about Rochester Rising, although you are already here, so you know about it in some way. But All of our social media links are linked in the show notes. So if you're not following us on your favorite social media network, now's the time. So check it out. Stay in tune with the stories that we are telling. Again, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today and spending some time with us. If you know an entrepreneur that would benefit from the conversation you heard today, please share this podcast with them so they can hear the experience of other business owners, entrepreneurs, and people operating within the entrepreneurial business community here in Rochester, Minnesota. All right, thank you.
Thank you so much for listening in and taking time with us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure that you rate it before you leave so that other people can find this podcast and learn more about the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Rochester, Minnesota. We'll see you next Wednesday.